I've got some Mother's Day advice for you. I was thinking about Mother's Day, thinking about all the sort of advice that we could give to, to parent to moms. And, and so here's, here's some Mother's Day advice. You want to know how to make iced coffee. Okay? Here's how you make iced coffee. You have kids. You make coffee. You forget you made the coffee. And then you drink it cold. Right? All right. Mother advice number two. The quickest way... To, uh, the quickest way for a mom to get a child's attention is to sit down and look comfortable. Yeah? Yeah? My kids are writing these things down, want to know this. Number three, not all who wonder are lost. Some of them are just moms. Wandering around in Target, hiding from their kids. Right? Right? You know, I was thinking about, I was thinking about mom's advice and how moms give very different advice than, than dads give. And in fact, we've got all these little boys that have played baseball all through the years. And when I'm watching my son getting ready to bat, I'm like, all right, here's what you need to do, dude. You got to get your hands back. You got to get the elbow up, you know, scoop back in the batter's box. Uh, you got to wash the ball. I tell my son, you need to smile at the pitcher. You say, well, what does that do? It scares the pitcher. The pitcher's like, what the heck are you smiling at me for? And I, you, you get in there and, and you have to do all these things. And, and my son's like, okay, I got to want to. Okay. And you know what my wife says? So simple. She's like, hit the ball, honey. Just hit the ball, honey. Like, why is it as dads, we make things so difficult. And then mom comes in and it's just this, this golden nugget. Just, just do it, bud. Just go for it. You know, we've been in uh, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. And we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount for the past, um, past couple of months. And we are three weeks from the end of the Sermon on the Mount. But as I look at the Sermon on the Mount, I, I keep thinking, like, Jesus probably listened to his mom. He probably listened to that, some of that, that concise, just simple advice that moms would give us. Because, I mean, here, the last several weeks, we see Jesus just repeatedly talk about what living in the kingdom of God looks like. How we've been in this. He said, this is what it looks like for you to live in the kingdom of God. He said, you've got to deal with your anger. We saw this several weeks ago. He said, it's not just wrong if we murder somebody. It's not just wrong if we hurt somebody. But Jesus said, it's actually wrong. It's actually sin if we have anger in our heart. So Jesus said, hey, you've got to deal with your anger. And then Jesus went on to lust and said, listen, it's not, just, it's not just wrong if you have a sexual relationship outside of the confines of marriage. It is actually wrong if you are lusting and longing for physical or emotional intimacy with somebody outside of your spouse. So Jesus said, hey, hey, we have to deal with our lust issues. Jesus said, hey, we got we to gotta deal with retaliation. He said, if somebody slaps you on the right cheek, you turn to him the left cheek also. Given this idea that vengeance doesn't belong to us, vengeance belongs to God. And he tells us, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love our enemies, right? And then he goes on uh, to chapter 6 and he starts talking about praying. And he says, when you are praying, you don't pray just for your kingdom. You don't pray for your will. You actually pray for God's will in your life. Kind of flips the script on us. And then Jesus flips the script again and says, hey, I'm going to deal with money. And Jesus says, listen, we have to deal with our uh, desire for materialism. He said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. One of them will be your God. You have to decide. You have to deal with that. And then he went and, and spoke to us about anxiety. 
He said, I'm going to give you an invitation. Not a command, an invitation to live an anxiety-free life. He said, I'm going to invite you to trust God fully. To put your complete faith in him. That God is good. That God is in control. That God is working things out for your good and for his glory. And week after week, I don't know about you, as we've gone through this Sermon on the Mount, I kind of feel like I'm my little boy in the batter's box. And Jesus is like, hey, keep your hands back. Get your, get your hands up. Keep your eye on the ball. And, and I'm like, wait, w- what am I supposed to be doing? And now we're going to see Jesus pull a little bit of his mom out of him. He's going to take everything he just said, all these things about this is how you live in the kingdom of God. He's going to summarize it into a simple statement for us to understand. Something that we call the golden rule. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. This is what it says. Jesus says, so, which is another word for therefore. It's connecting back to the entire last section. Connecting back to what the entire living in the kingdom of God looks like. He says, so, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Simple, very simple statement right there. There's, no, there's nothing hitting it in the Greek. There's no weird words that we have to try and understand differently. It is pretty straightforward. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. Now, this is an idea that is probably familiar with us in our day and age. This is an idea that has been used in all sorts of religions and, and psychology and, and, and leaders all the past several uh, 2,000 years. But it's almost always when we hear it, it's used in a negative form. It's always used in uh, this idea. Actually, Confucius said this. He said, do not to others what you would not wish done to yourself. It's always in the negative. So if you don't want to get beat up, then don't beat other people up. If you don't want to get lied to, then don't lie to people. If you don't want to get stolen from, you don't want people to take things from you, then simply don't take things from other people. The issue with that is there's nothing really religious about that idea. I mean, if you don't want anything bad to happen, you don't do anything. There's, not, there's something religious about that. I mean, you, could, uh, you can just, you don't have to do anything to actually keep that rule, right? You can just sit there and say, well, since I don't want anything bad to happen, I'm not going to do anything to anybody else. But Jesus is going to take this idea and he's going to flip it around. He's going to take it a lot further. Because he, he's going to say, uh, you don't have permission just to withdraw from the world where you can uh, not offend anybody else. He's going to take it a lot further and actually require that we treat our neighbor how we would like to be treated. So I'm going to look at this, this idea, this golden rule. Do unto others as you wish, wish them would do to you. And look at what does this look like? How do we actually live this out? And just by way of clarification, when you look at this verse, verse 12, uh, look at the context in which it is written. Jesus just straight up says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do to them. There's no, uh, there's no situation that Jesus is specifically applying to. He's not saying, well, if this happens, then do this. He's using this as, as a, generic, uh, a generic statement. And here's why that's important. Here's why that's important. Because I don't know about you, but if you ever go through a scenario where, where you're just going through your day, and, and things are happening, and all of a sudden something happens. There, there's a circumstance that comes up, and you have to make a quick decision. You've got to make a quick moral decision. Hey, what are you going to do here? This just happened. How are you going to respond? And you don't have time to grab your Bible. You don't have time to say, okay, what does the Bible say about this? Jesus gives us this golden rule as a tool that we can put in our back pocket. Kind of like you'd put a pocket knife. And you can just pull this pocket knife out when you need it. 
And when that circumstance comes up, you have this ability to, to pull this scenario out. How do I respond? Okay, well, if I do unto others the way I would want them to do to me, how would I respond in this scenario? I mean, think about it. Think about how simple that statement is. Think about how our world would be different if we actually lived that principle out. I mean, just think about how different and how great our world would be. I mean, just, just picture yourself. Picture yourself. Again, this would never happen in me. But picture yourself where, where maybe uh, one of your kids wakes up and they're kind of cranky. Just naturally. They're teenagers, right? They're just cranky. Maybe your spouse wakes up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe your parent's having a bad day. And you kind of know what that looks like. Where they're just short. They're a little bit cranky. And maybe they're biting your head off. How do we normally respond? Now, at least for me, you bite me, I bite you back. You bite my head off, man, watch me go toe-to-toe with you. Like, I'll, I'll give it right back to you. Like, that's how we would normally respond. But we understand this principle that Jesus is giving us, the golden rule. Jesus would say, imagine you were the one having the bad day. Imagine you're frustrated for whatever reason. How would you want other people to respond to you? Would you want them to bite you back? Or would you want them to say, hey, man, what's up? Hey, what's going on? Would you want them to, to serve you uh, and go above and beyond? Would you, would you want them to smack you on the back of the head and say, dude, you got to snap out of this. Like, like, come on, man. Like, put yourself in that situation where instead of just automatically biting back, you say, Can't, okay, if I was in that scenario, how would I want my spouse, my child, whatever to respond? Think about, think about, this, it requires us to actually have a proactive response instead of an emotional response. It requires us to actually be proactive and think ahead and think, okay, if I was in this scenario, how would I want someone to respond to me? Imagine how that would change how you parent. Imagine as a parent. Now, we have teenagers. Teenagers are, are, are great. Teenagers know a lot. Teenagers think they know everything, right? Anybody with teenagers ever had a teenager think they know everything okay maybe that's just me but i uh imagine if instead of parenting your teenager imagine if you put yourself on their shoes and said okay i remember what it's like to be 16 years old i remember what it's like to be 16 and trying to find my identity trying to figure out what life looks like imagine if you parented your child remembering what it was like to be a teenager do you think that would change how you parent do you think that would change the way that you go about trying to correct them and trying to point them in a different direction? Man, I, I get challenged in that. Where if I put myself in that situation, man, there's still some correction. There's still some pointing that needs to do. But it looks different when I put myself in that situation. How would I want my mom to respond to me in this scenario? What about this? You see someone, uh, again, you've got people that you're in relationship with. You've got friends, you've got family, people you love and care about. Imagine if they're headed down the wrong direction and they're making some dumb mistakes. Now, we have seen people do that. They're making a train wreck of their life, right? Imagine you see someone headed that way. Again, put yourself in that situation. How would you want someone to respond to you? You're doing some dumb stuff. You're headed for, for, for pain, for heartache. Man, how would you want someone to come to you to say, hey, man, I see you going down the wrong path. Let's, let's talk about this. Again, it changes your approach. Requires you to be proactive. Imagine, imagine even in church. People come into church and they have all these expectations about what a church should be and how a church should treat them. 
But what if, again, you flip that script around? Where instead of you saying, this is what the church should do to me, what if we came and had this attitude that do unto others as you would want them to do to you? Where instead of being about what you're going to do to me, what if it became, hey, I'm going to treat you the way I'd like to be treated? Wouldn't that just change the atmosphere of, of our church? Wouldn't that change the atmosphere of Christianity as a whole? See, this whole idea about the golden rule is it requires we have some initiative. We can't just sit back and try and play it safe. We actually have to step forward and step out and say, okay, I'm in. I'm going to step out there. I'm going to put my neck on the line, and I'm going to go and do something. See, this idea that uh, we would actually have to think think about others is one of the uh, values or characteristics that we hope to characterize here at Restoration Church. This idea. In fact, in order for us to accomplish the golden rule, we have to understand this idea that it's not about me. This is a mentality that we've talked about a lot at Restoration Church. It's one of those characteristics that we want to define who we are as Restoration Church. That we would be a group of people who recognize, listen, it's not about me. Church, family, whatever it is, it's not about me. It comes out of Philippians chapter 2 that tells us to consider others more significant for uh, other than ourselves. Considers, consider others more significant than ourselves. See, it requires us to take our eyes off of ourselves and begin looking around at the people around us and saying, man, what are, what are their needs? What are, what are their cares? What are their loves? What are their joys? What are their hopes? What are their dreams? See, I, I, just, I just believe, like, our world would be such a better place if we actually put this principle into practice. Have we actually lived our life as if it wasn't about me? That I could generally do to other people what I want them to do to me because I care about them. Because my eyes are off of me and, and always me being the center of attention. And let me just clarify that for a second, though. Because the golden rule is a guide, not a goal. You understand that? And here's what I mean by this. Because we can look at this verse and say, well, if I treat other people a certain way, then they're going to treat me that way. And so I, 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 I do this so they will do this back to me. So I'll, I'll be nice to you so you'll be nice to me. It's kind of like this idea, like you, I scratch your back and you scratch mine. Kind of you're looking to get something in return. And again, we've got to understand that for us to put the golden pr- rule into practice— Motives really matter. In fact, this is what Jesus said in verse 12 about the golden rule. He said, whatever you wish others to do to you, do also to them. And here's what he said, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus said, listen, this is why you live this way. Because this is how you put, this is how you make your life conform to the pattern that we see in scripture. For us to to live God's word out. And as I think about Kevin and Gretchen trying to understand what it looks like to to live the gospel out at home, it means they have to figure out what it looks like for the lives to conform to what Scripture says. And listen, Jesus just said this is the law and the prophets, that you would treat others the way that you'd want to be treated yourself. Listen, the golden rule, does this characterize your life this morning? As you think about what this morning looked like, I don't know what your mornings look like. Maybe it's a chaotic morning. And, you, and you're, get out of bed, and you're pulling the blankets off your kids, trying to get them out of bed. I don't know if your Sunday mornings look like that. Mine did when I was growing up. I'm a pastor, so I'm at church at 8 o'clock, so I don't know how the kids woke up this morning. 
But listen, does this attitude, does this characterize your morning? Does this golden rule, does this, does it, did this characterize your week? Does this idea that you would treat others the way that you'd want to be treated, does it characterize how you act in the workplace? Does it characterize how you interact with your classmates? Does it characterize how you interact with your teachers? Does it characterize, even try this, does this characterize how you drive down some of you avenue or any other road? So I don't know about you, but I begin to think, man, I, I don't know. I don't know how these things line up very well. I don't know if my life really is characterized by that idea. It is so simple, this idea, to treat others the way that you'd want to be treated. It is so simple, it is so powerful, but it is so hard. And this is what Jesus has been teaching us the past several weeks. As he's talked about living in the kingdom of God, he said this. He said, do for others what you wish be done for you. And here's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has been teaching us, listen, if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to live in the kingdom of God and be a part of God's kingdom, this is what it needs to look like. This is what your life needs to be like. And he's been teaching again and again and again. And then he comes up with this, this, this mom statement, do unto others as you wish them to do to you. And now there's going to be a transition in the Sermon on the Mount. Because he's taught us for, for two and a half chapters, he's taught us this is what it looks like for you to be a part of God's kingdom. And now he's going to transition to a, 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 almost a word of application. Because it's almost like, like Jesus realizes admiration without a- action is deadly. Do you know what I mean by that? Like we can admire what happens at church. We can admire God's word. We can have appreciation for, for all that we do, all that Christ has done for us. But if there is no action, it's deadly. Another way to say that would be conviction without commitment is pointless. And so Jesus said, do for others what you wish you would done for you. And now he's going to say there's a choice to make. Here's the choice. Verse 13. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Jesus said, hey, here's what it looks like for you and I to to live like the kingdom of God, to live like we belong to God. And I was going to say, there's there's two choices. There's two gates. There's two paths. There's two different types of crowds. And there's two different results. He said, there's two choices that we have the opportunity to make now. Here's what Jesus says, how we're supposed to live. And now the choice comes. And I want to look at these two choices, and I want to contrast them a little bit. We've got this, we've got this wide gate that Jesus talks about. And then we've got this, this, this narrow gate that Jesus talks about. There's a, there's a wide path, and there's this, this narrow path. And here's, here's what Jesus said about the wide path. He said the wide path is, is inclusive. The wide path, there's room for everybody to, to jump on board. I mean, it, you can bring all sorts of baggage with you. You don't have to change. You don't got to repent. I mean, you can bring four or five suitcases. You just drag them through the wide gate. There's plenty of room to bring it all in. In fact, that gate is so wide. That gate is so wide. Uh, that doesn't really matter what you believe. I mean, there's many ways to God. 
And so we, we can accept all different religions, all different beliefs. There's many ways to God. Just, you just have to be genuine. So if, if you want to worship nature, if you want to worship science, if you want to worship yourself, man, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or, or Buddhist or, 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 or Jewish or, or Mormon. You just have to be genuine because on that wide, in that wide gate, there's room for everybody to come on board. In fact, that gate is so wide that people, they don't really enter by themselves. They kind of enter with groups. So you can say, well, you know, my church, you know, I, I, I kind of go to this church, and they're on this road, So because I'm, I'm a part of the church, I'm on the road. Or, well, my mom and dad, they, they, they grew up, and they, they, they were this or that. And so just because, you know, it's my mom and dad, I, I just follow their coattails, and I, and I follow them in through the wide gate. The narrow gate is a little bit different. The narrow gate is exclusive. It's a little bit tighter. Actually, I don't think a gate is the right term for the narrow gate. I think it might be more of a turnstile. You know, the little thing that you have to walk through and there's little bars. You've got to go one by one. It is completely exclusive. There's not many ways into the narrow gate. There's only one. There's only one way in through the narrow gate and onto that narrow path, and that's through Jesus. In fact, John chapter 14 says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, listen, the only way through the narrow gate, it isn't through any religion you want to believe. It isn't through being genuine. The only way into the narrow gate, the only way to God is through Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. Listen, that narrow gate, there's not room for the baggage. You can't bring your suitcases and suitcases of junk. To get through that gate, you're going to have to shed some things. You're going to have to repent of some sin. You're going to have to shed some of these old beliefs. You're going to have to leave those things behind and allow God to begin to change you to get through that gate. That narrow gate, it's, it's exclusive. You can't enter based on what your family says. Well, my family, we're all, we're all this. No, the narrow gate is exclusive. You have to make your own decision. It is personal. It is yours and yours alone. Again, looking at the wide path, the wide path is described as being the easy path. You can picture going down this road, and you can picture there being accommodations all along the way. You've got rest stops. You've got a holiday inn every few miles. You've got gift shops. You've got restaurants. There's a McDonald's up here, and there's a subway up there, and you can choose what you want. There's amusement parks. There's gas stations. There's all sorts of, of great things along this, this, this wide path. In fact, along the wide path, there are countless people on the path. Lots of people on the path. Everybody seems to be happy and carefree. There's plenty of room for a diversity of opinions, plenty of room for morals to be wide open. You can do whatever you want to do. No one's going to question your beliefs or criticize your behavior. I mean, you can do whatever you want to do because that wide path is a road of tolerance and permissiveness. There's no curbs. There's no boundaries. You can think and conduct yourselves any way you want. On the other hand, on the narrow path, on the, on the narrow gate, we hear that it is a hard path. There's going to be few accommodations along the way. There's going to be few people on the way. Uh, oftentimes, you're going to find the narrow path. There's seasons of it that's going to feel lonely. It's going to be difficult. 
In fact, when you look at the narrow path, you see boundaries on either side that are clearly marked. Boundaries that are defined by divine revelation. Boundaries that are defined by God's word. Now, I know we hear this word boundaries and we think, well, that sounds confining. That doesn't sound very fun. That sounds not like God's trying to restrict my life and make me miss out on all this world has to offer. And that is the farthest thing from the truth. That is the farthest thing from the truth. See, you and I, we are all like Pinocchio. We've got this little Jiminy Cricket in the back of our mind. We've got this conscience inside of our head. And you know where that conscience came from? Romans chapter 2 says that the law of God was written in our hearts. In creation. The law of God, it bears witness of the truth. And so we have the truth in our heart, which leaves us uh, without excuse. When God created us, he wrote the boundaries of the law in our heart. Where we have this sense of right and wrong. And listen, we have this great ability to dull it. We have this great ability to learn to quiet down that conscience inside of our heart, but it's there. And listen, it's when we understand those boundaries. Inside those boundaries, it's the purest form of liberation, of freedom. Reaching all across the landscape of our society. In those boundaries, there's the purest freedom socially and sexually and, and ethically. Those boundaries are for our good so we can have this freedom. On the wide path, you just have to be a fan of Jesus. You have to kind of like him. Yeah, but like, like if I were to vote between Jesus and Satan, well, of course I'd vote Jesus, yeah. Like I can be a fan of Jesus. And some of us live our life like that. Well, yeah, I'm, a, I'm on Jesus' side. But the narrow gate requires that we don't just be a fan, we have to be a follower. Changes things a little bit. We don't just have to like him on Facebook, we actually have to allow him to direct our life. And to change how we live. Funny thing about these two gates. Is both gates claim to be the way to God. On that, wide, that wide gate. It's not marked this is the way to hell. No actually that wide gate says listen. This is heaven. Just like the narrow gate is going to be labeled heaven. Because Satan is a master of religious de- Deception. And, and Satan, he, he constructs that wide gate to look and to sound like heaven. But it doesn't lead there. Solomon, the words of Solomon from Proverbs 16 says, There is a way that seems right to man, but his end is the way of death. Again, think about these, think about these crowds that are on these two different, have gone through these two different gates, or on these two different paths. Jesus says that, On the wide path, there's going to be a lot of people. On the narrow path, few are going to find it. See, that tells me that the majority opinion will not lead you to the narrow path. Just following the crowd, doing what everybody everybody is doing, it's not going to help you find that narrow path. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 22, he's preaching and he's teaching in all these towns. uh, And it says, and someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And Jesus said to them, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door and saying, Lord, open to us. He will answer you, I do not know where you come from. 
And then you will say, well, we ate and drank in your presence and we taught in your streets. We were your fan, Jesus. And he will say, I will tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, you workers of evil. See, that narrow road is not going to be found as long as we try and, and cater to the masses. As long as we make other people's opinions uh, the motivation for how we live our life. You recognize how difficult this is in seasons of life? Perception of how people perceive us. Popularity, acceptance of the world around us. I know in my own teen years, when I was growing up, I can't tell you how foolish and how often I gave into that peer pressure of trying to conform, of trying to find acceptance. And it was a killer. It was an absolute killer. Listen, our young people are faced time and time and time again with the pressure to crave to being found, uh, uh, be, to, to, to crave being, being liked by the surrounding majority versus finding the eternal treasure that is found in Jesus Christ. It is so detrimental to us when we are, 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 are forced to try and be accepted by the world around us. Aside from young people, listen, every day, every day we are pelted with temptations to be accepted by the world. To be welcomed and loved by the world rather than being accepted and loved by Christ. So here's you see Jesus saying, hey, there's two gates here. There's, there, there's two paths. Hey, there's this one path. There's this one gate that looks, looks beautiful. I almost picture that wide gate. Like, 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 if you think about entering Disneyland. Anyone ever been to Disneyland? See, I love Disneyland. Beautiful place. You walk up and you see Main Street. You look down. You see all these shops. You see the candy store, the toy store. You see a lot of people. You see a lot of people. And I kind of picture that that, that that wide path kind of makes me think about Main Street in Disneyland. Where it promises so much. Like I don't have to do much to enter in. I've got to pay my 150 bucks to get through the gate. But I don't, I don't have to change anything I, I do. I don't have to change what I believe. I don't have to change what I do. I can just go into Main Street with the promise that I'm going to be happy and satisfied. But you know what my problem with Disneyland is? At the end of the day, my feet hurt, and I still have to go home. At the end of the day, I paid $150 for a taste of something good that will never fully satisfy me. It's kind of like a drug. It gives you a glimpse of something that's always just out of reach. And so you have to go back again and again and again just to get that little bit of magic. Just to get that little bit of hope. Just to get that taste of what could be that's left you hungry in the end. Some of you, you know what this life is like. Going through the wide gate. On that wide road. With all these promises, hey, you're going to be satisfied. Hey, hey, you're going to be enough. Hey, it's going to be okay, but you're always going to find it's going to leave you empty. It doesn't give you the things that you desperately need. It doesn't bring you peace. It doesn't bring you joy, regardless of your circumstances. Then you've got the second gate. 
this second path. It's narrow. And you look down through the gate, and it's kind of like you see one of those windy switchback roads heading up a mountain. You look at the road and you think, man, that doesn't sound very good. Like if I go off that edge, it sounds like it's a tough path. And see, this is our problem, though. Is when we focus on the paths. You've got this one path over here. It looks so spacious. It looks so fun. It looks like a big party. You've got this other path. And it looks like there's all these switchy, windy roads and it's going uphill and it doesn't look very fun. Like you ever ridden a bike up a hill? Like, it doesn't look like what you want to go down. But here's the issue. Is these, we miss the fact that these paths are not an end of themselves. These paths both lead to a a destination. And too often we live our life focused on the path and not thinking about the destination of where the path is going to take us. And so we live our life and we make decisions in, hey, I'm not going to think about what's ahead of me. I'm just going to be on this path right here because it feels good. Like I can do a little bit of this and I can do a little bit of that and I can do a little bit of this. And it feels good right now without recognizing, hey, this path is leading to destruction. You're going to fall off the cliff and you don't even know it. And then on this other side, we look at this other path and think, well, it looks hard. It might, it might be difficult. Like, I have to change. I have to let God change me. Like, I'm not going to be the most popular person in the world. People are going to say, why are you living like that? Without recognizing that over that hill is a beautiful thing called eternity. Over that hill, there's that cross on top. That has literally bought us our freedom. That has literally bought us that peace and that joy that we all are desperately longing for. That we're all trying all these different things to find. Listen, the hard road is the one that you will find that on. One path promises the good life and rarely satisfies. And the second path promises a better future. The question is, which path are you taking today? When you look at the course of your life, which path are you on? Man, the white pasture sounds good. She got to think about the destination. Makes me think, what do these two things have in common? I mean, Jesus just said, listen, this is what the golden rule is. This is how you live in the kingdom of God. You live this principle to do unto others as you would wish they would do to you. And then he said, hey, now you have a choice. You have this choice. You have this wide path or this narrow path. What are these things have in common. And it's simply this. Jesus. Listen, this idea of doing unto others is, is I would have them to do to me. Listen, I can't do that on my own. Like I've tried. I've tried to change my heart. I, I've tried to, to live the way that, 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 that God says I should. I mean, that's what the wide road tells us we can do. The wide road says we can be anything we want to be. The wide road says you can change yourself. You can make yourself a better person. But you know what I found? Is how many times I've tried to change myself, I'm still selfish in my own nature. My human nature always makes it about me. And so sure, I'll do unto others so that they will do to me. Sure, I will do unto others so that others will think I'm a good person. 
Sure, I will do good unto others so that God will say, okay, you're worthy. And and I'll accept you now. What I've found is I can't, I can't live the golden rule by myself without God doing a work in my heart. And what I found the only way to get on that narrow path is you have to let Jesus into your heart and into your life. And he has to do a work in your heart. Once we experience his love, his grace, everything has changed. And when we sang this song this morning, we sang this song, beautiful song, by the overwhelming, never-ending, and reckless love of God. We said, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. But God still gave his life away. See, when God created us, he created us to be in this relationship with him. But then we have this sin stuff. There's times where we, we don't pursue what God wants. and We pursue ourselves. And that sin, that breaks our relationship with God. But God's overwhelming, never-ending and reckless love sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. To bring you back into a relationship with him. Listen, all that wide road, it promises. It promises so many things. But what I found, the only way to experience that narrow road is to experience the overwhelming, never-ending, and reckless love of God. So what do we do? For example, look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, enter by the narrow gate. This isn't a suggestion. Jesus isn't saying, I hope you do this. Jesus is saying, make a decision. Enter into the narrow gate. Make a choice today. Make a choice today. All right, Jesus. I will allow you to change me. All right, Jesus, I'll chuck my baggage at the gate. All right, Jesus, I will look for your boundaries. All right, Jesus, I want that peace. I want that joy. Joshua 24 says, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That is your choice today. 